all of us are called to be not just disciples, but in a sense, apostles, people Christ can send on his behalf. You're not fully a disciple until you're also an evangelist. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic pod. Oh, no, your seasonal. Man, I'm still stuck in the old way. Your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. This is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave, the Riverside Captain Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm super excited for today's episode. Most today's. excited of all time. I was walking upstairs, I, and I said, kids, be quiet. Daddy's interviewing a legend. <laughs> That's what I yeah. said today. How yeah. many times have we had this conversation that we we have a podcast on evangelization and we keep saying like, well, why have we not had Cherry Waddell on yet? This is weird. It's weird yeah. that we haven't had literally this. literally every month. We're like, yeah. oh, Cherry sure. Waddell posted our episode in the Forming Central Disciples <laughs> Forum, and then it's like, okay, well, yeah. let's not actually <laughs> spend some time scheduling her. So today, today the legend is here, Sherry Waddell. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. I am honored, honored, <laughs> honored to be here. I've been posting on the forum about you guys and your show for years. <laughs> so, yes, the chance to be even cyberly in the same space <laughs> with you all is a huge honor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So in case folks out there have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, you are the executive director of the Catherine of Siena Institute. How long has the Institute been? It's like well, We just celebrated years? our 25th anniversary in July. Dang, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And uh, so you're the executive director. Yeah. <laughs> the executive director. And of course, how most people know you is through the amazing book, Forming Intentional Disciples, bestseller. And the last, uh, the last stat I saw was 175,000 copies sold. Yep. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It, it has yeah, that, been stunning, yes. And it was so exciting because just a couple of days ago, I was talking to French Dominicans about having it uh, translated into French. So, you know, wow. uh, exciting stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I still remember, so I knew about Called and Gifted because I did it when I was 15 in oh Houston. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I think you said it was one of the first Called and Gifted workshops you'd ever done. It was at the Church Maxim. <laughs> Yeah. And, but then I, I still vividly remember a brother who I'm friends with on Facebook who said, everyone needs to stop right now and read this book. And I was like, who is Sherry Waddell? You know, I was thinking this, it, stop and read this book. And it's not like, like she's still alive and, 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 and she's not like an ancient <laughs> saint of wisdom of saints. Yeah, like I'm not stopping to read yeah. this. And then I, I ordered it and I remember thinking, this is, this is going to be something. And, and I, Gomer and I started talking about it and, um, I remember it like then about a year later, I joined the forum and you were booked almost every day because of that book. I mean, it was, it was, it was, crazy. It was like being hit by lightning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was, yeah. I went from being, I'd done a lot of stuff, but I was like, nobody knew who I was. And, you mm -hmm. know, I had no name recognition. So they bring <laughs> me in, they'd say, this is going to be really exciting. And then, you know, I get three people and the fourth person was lost, you know, and that, and because I had no name recognition. So I, I uh, yeah, it was a real transition to suddenly go yeah. from I remember um, my, my first encounter with the book was 
at an event that uh, it was like a national Catholic schools conference. Oh and um, and I went to it and it was being hosted in Houston. And so by our archdiocese. And so I went and everyone got a copy of the book in their little tote bag. And I remember getting it and looking at it and being like, huh, that's interesting. And then I put it on a shelf with all the other books that one the Someday Maybe book list. And then I can't remember what it was, but I picked it up and, it, oh, I know what it was. It was, it's when all of the um, parish reform books were coming out, like um, Rebuild and um, yeah, uh, Divine Renovation. I think it was a little bit before Divine Renovation, but I was like just going through all these books and your book kept being in all these blogs and stuff. Right. In that category. So I was like, well, I like these books. Let's go for that book. And then I just remember I didn't sleep that night. I read through the whole thing yeah. cover wow. to cover. And I was like, this is going to be a game changer. And yeah. I loved it. So I've been telling everyone in parish ministry, the most important book written in the last 10 years, at, at least for the Catholic Church in America, because you spell out clearly what's wrong, why it got this bad, and what we can do to correct it. And uh, yeah, so I can't thank you enough for that book. It is incredible. Well, and that came yeah. out of 15 years of, you know, beating my head against the wall like everybody else was doing. I mean, we were all doing the same thing. Right. We were all fighting. Right. We're all up. I can remember just thinking, looking at people and saying, it all feels like we're up against this this force field, the invisible force field that, you know, you can't get through and we don't know why. And yeah, so it was a long journey. Just FYI, um, OSV has just issued the 10th anniversary edition of Forming Intentional Disciples, cool. which is revised. So I rewrote oh. chapters 1 and 12 to basically sort of update things in terms of the nice. stats, of course, but also to share what we've learned in the last 10 years. So we've learned a lot yeah, yeah. since I did that. But uh, it's really been uh, an extraordinary mm. journey, but it has started a conversation in a lot of places yeah. in the world. and. You know, it was a larger conversation certainly here in the States, but elsewhere as well, because we work, you know, outside the U.S. a lot, too. So mm -hmm. um, it's really been a, a, an extraordinary thing. All I can say is, <laughs> you know, this is one of those surprises God pulls on you that you're just like, no one's more surprised than you are. So, yeah. 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 yeah and I think for me, the language that it gave me, especially with right. the notion of like building trust with people who have no trust. And how you crafted, like, it could even be the Charlie Bound Christmas episode <laughs> could be just enough of a nudge to build that trust. And that as a youth minister, right, I, you know, you see it. You, you're working with kids who are largely hostile, not necessarily to the Catholic faith, but the fact that you're taking their Sunday night away or that, you know, whatever your youth group is. And there's all these obstacles and stuff. And you're like, why don't these kids respond? Like, what is going on? And then uh, we had, um, Everett Fritz, who used to do a lot of stuff with Y Disciple, and he said to me, I want you to think of the kids in your youth group who are the ones that you don't worry about now that they're at college. Like, who are the ones that were like the, you know, the cream of the crop kids who are doing amazing Catholic stuff in their colleges? And he's like, okay, think about them. Now, what makes them different from the larger group of kids? And it's like, well, those are the kids that I invested in. You know, I poured, you know, those are kids that I discipled. And he's like, right. Right. You invested in them and you built trust. You worked with them. You did all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Right. Like the kids that do well are the ones that we personally form and work with and walk with as they're ping ponging through all the stages and all that stuff. But they're also the ones that we watch drop their nets, you know, and come follow Christ. And uh, mm -hmm. your, your book just gave me the language for that. 
And I will say that the thing that infuriated me about your book was the thing that I have only had confirmed now as a Catholic speaker, which is when you said you would talk to all these Catholic leaders and head of diocesan whatevers, <laughs> and you would ask them one question, what's your relationship with God like? And they had no idea how to answer. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I see this everywhere, everywhere. What is that doing to the church? And actually, it's interesting because now, when I the first time I ever, very early on, we were doing clergy days, and I still had a Dominican co-director, so because they would never have me come in on my own in those days, and so the, <laughs> I, I was there as his sidekick. Right, the Dominican was the real thing. Okay, no question. And but I had two guys, two priests, run up to me at the first break and say, "What if our brothers are not disciples?" And I just sat there with my thinking, this is above my pay grade. I'm not touching yeah. this with a 10-foot pole. I had no <laughs> idea what to say. Uh, but that started a, con a larger conversation. And then after Forming Intentional Disciples came out, I had these conversations all over the place. And I just had them. I was just doing a clergy day two weeks ago, and I had the same conversations there. Yeah. You know, Only now people are bishops and priests openly acknowledge that, yes, a lot of my brothers are not there yet. Yeah. Uh, we now have the language for it. Right, right. I think that was th the most shocking thing is it's really hard to penetrate clergy culture. And I, th I remember standing on my head basically trying to express <laughs> the concept of like making disciples at clergy days. And now you just use the language from the book and it's like people are nodding their heads because they've, you know, they've read it. So I think that's. Incredible. Yeah, I think we've been on a, a long, a long journey in the last ten years. The last five years have been really tough on a lot of levels, for the, and especially the American Catholic Church. And so, I think we're we've got it. You know, it's it, mm -hmm. it's either real. I mean, there's there's institutional faith, and then there's personal faith. There's lived relational, you know, discipleship. Or there's, I'm just attached to the institution. One of the things we've discovered since I wrote the book that's been so crucial for us is to begin to understand that right now, developmentally, the crucial transition, for me, intentional disciples, I talk about these five stages of sort of spiritual development that we call the thresholds. But so, and Gomer was talking about, he mentioned trust is like one of the very early ones. And then people move from trust into curiosity most of our leadership, and this is clerical and lay across the boards, typically is back at uh, early curiosity. Um, and even I had a bishop who, a brand new, who has just become a bishop. And he, my first meeting with him, he turned to me, he said, most of my guys are back at that second stage, aren't they? And I thought, I was stunned that he raised it, you know, and I thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, there's, a, I don't know all your guys. There's no way I can judge that, you know, on an individual level, but generally speaking, yeah, there's a good chance. And uh, so I think it's really clear, but the big transition right now, the great challenge, what we've discovered is that for people raised in Catholic culture, raised as, you know, and like in, and I mean, outside of movements, they're not part of the charismatic renewal or a third or order or, you know, some special yeah. or special group, okay? But just regular diocesan parish, which is where 98% of Americans are. Basically, uh, the big transition for them is to move from curiosity where the faith is still essentially institutional, 
Like I'm engaged in the institution. I do lots of stuff. I do good Catholic stuff. I do the stuff I'm supposed to do. I go to mass and I give and I uh, attend, you know, and I'm involved in the community, et cetera, um, which is all great stuff. But in terms of where you are in your lived relationship with God, it isn't necessarily coming out of a lived relational place. And so what we're finding is for a lot of people, the transition from early curiosity into openness, spiritual openness, where I just, for many people, it's the first time they ever talk to God personally, like in their own words, even if it's just like, uh, well, if you're there and if you can hear me (laughs) and if you care, uh, (laughs) hi, I'm here, Uh, I'm open. I don't know what that means, but if there's something more here, I'm open. And that prayer is such a huge turning point for so many people at any level, no matter what their status is or their vocation, their formal jobs, et cetera, their titles. But for a lot of us, we haven't made that transition. And when we do, all of a sudden things start to move so fast spiritually. And the impact of everything else, somebody's at spiritual openness the impact of everything else we do at, for instance, the parish level or in terms of evangelization or anything is they're just, they're much freer to respond to. Things move much faster. Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's been really a big, t- to grasp that and to realize that right now that's one of our big challenges, especially for people who are already practicing. And usually yeah. they would be at that stage. Right. Um, now, if we're talking about people who've left the church, which is a whole nother kettle of fish, of course, or right. um, or maybe even the children of people who've left the church, which is increasingly what we've got going, then that's a we're in a they're they're out there probably no trust at all. The bridge of trust has been broken. The nice yeah. thing about it, when somebody shows up and walks through the door, there's usually a bridge of trust in place. You can pretty much count on that, or they wouldn't be there. They won't walk through the door. Right. But we have now a lot of people, even who still call themselves Catholic, but hardly ever walk through the door. And for them, the bridge of trust has often been broken. And that's, in a sense, the charisms come into all those that, they're the ways we've been supernaturally empowered by God to help other people encounter Christ and make that journey and become, you know, conscious followers of Christ and to start, and so that his love and his mercy and his beauty, truth, and provision for others can, if you will, flow through them into the world. Even for those of us who are baptized Catholic, we all receive these gifts. I mean, the church teaches we all get them with the Holy Spirit when, we, and when we're baptized. But they typically don't manifest in our life until our faith becomes personal. So if most of our people are not there, you know, it's my... People, I, I'm famously the queen of negative stats, and everybody, you know, like, it's horrified my <laughs> you show. You just got to make it through chapter one. Make it through chapter one. I tell people that all the time. Make it yeah. through chapter one, right? I had, I remember what, hearing a bishop in uh, California keep going. He says, those stats, those statistics. He was talking to somebody else, but I overheard him. You know, I get it. But, but the thing is, the funny thing about the charisms we've been given, they start to pop in people's lives. When we make that move, that transition from just a purely institutional, obligation-based, cultural-based Catholicism to this living relationship with Christ, and I'm beginning to seek to follow him as his disciple, that's when they start to pop. And and with them comes leadership. 
uh, formal or informal in the church. With them comes uh, clues as to personal vocation. I mean, all kinds of, and and not to mention the ways they're the ways we've been empowered by God to be a channel of His mercy and beauty and healing and all this stuff for others. We help, and and when they encounter our charisms, they are in a sense encountering another presence of Christ. It's it's His grace, obviously. Right. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Uh, but yeah. because we have, we are now in a kind of union with Him. So His grace now is able to flow through us with our cooperation, our obedience, and into the lives of others. And it's you know that's what we help people do in the called and gifted is discern. And we've I've done that for longer than I than I've been doing evangelism. Our evangelism understanding grew out of the process of helping people discern charisms because we right. we just talked to a lot of listened to a lot of people talk about their lived relationship with God, and that's how I slowly slowly realized. A lot of Catholics didn't have one, yeah, and uh, yeah. and no wonder they struggled with discernment. But when you start to evangelize, then all these other things start to pop from. It's not just from on high, you know. The fruit of evangelism is not just that we, you know, have better bishops and better priests, which is great, of course, and super important. But it's because. All of us are called to be not just disciples, but in a sense, apostles, people Christ can send on his behalf with, you know, with these gifts and, and, and to live the charisms, the work of love to which he's called every one of us. And, we're, you know, and all of that is part of the fruit um, of discipleship. So every time we start making disciples, we get serious about evangelism, then all this other stuff starts to bubble up from within the community at all levels. And it's not just that the 1% are responsible to drag the rest of us, you know, into heaven somehow. (laughs) Um, It's every one of us has been given something to give that other people are waiting for. You know, I... I've said it like a billion times, but there's someone literally out there who is waiting for what you have been given to give. And it matters that you say yes, because their lives hang in the balance, really. Even if, I mean, it sounds melodramatic, but even if you and I don't know them, even if we've not met them yet, maybe they haven't even been born yet. Right. But in God's providence, we are the one. He's prepared He's anointed with his Holy Spirit. He's, he's, you know, given us these charisms. He's sending us out there. Classic story. This, and this happened early on in the beginning of the called and gifted process. Uh, we had a young woman who thought she had a charism of healing manifesting. And she was actually in, not in the U.S., but in another country. But she somehow heard about us and called us. And she said uh, she thought it was a charism of healing. Um, but she went to a priest. And the priest told her, well, you know, that might be a temptation. It might be fake. So I wouldn't pay attention to that. You know, just leave it alone. She heard about us. And so she went and called Father Michael Sweeney, who was my co-founder and was my pastor in those days. And and he listened to her and he said, you know, I don't know, Sherry, but it sounds like the real thing. You go talk to her. So I said, (laughs) okay. So I had, you know, listened to her and it was in fact the real thing. And about a year later, one of Father Michael's student friends, who was studying theology in Europe, uh, was diagnosed with um, terminal uh, liver hepatic cancer. And so, 
some basically he got the two of them together and his friend <laughs> flew over from Europe and she prayed for him and then he went back home. And then the doctor, you know, did that thing that they do where they get your wife and your all the important people around the table and they want to have this serious conversation with you. And basically they they basically told him that he was dying. It said, go on a nice long trip and then get your affairs in order. And his wife basically had a gasket at this point. She just blew up and she said, if it's there, you find it. Because he said, well, it's, it's, it's still there. We just can't find it. It's like vanished from view. But we know it's there. It's in hiding, but it's there. So you're still dying. Don't get any ideas. And um, anyway, <laughs> you know, so, she, so they put it through this huge battery of tests, all kinds of stuff. And they couldn't find it. So they had to say, well, I guess you're in remission. A year later, we were in Hawaii doing a called and gifted, and I ran into her on, in Maui. I was like, what are you doing here? She said, well, it's the one-year anniversary of his healing. The family's here to celebrate, and they brought me along as a thank you. 17 years awesome. later, I just talked to Father Michael about this a, couple, a little while ago, and I said, how's your friend doing? He says, oh, I just had lunch with him last week. That's a great okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. but here's the deal. That was what's, what's so amazing to me is she was being prepared. For a person she didn't know yet, he didn't know he was going to get sick. She was being prepared to be the answer to his prayers. Right. Mm. And that's, that's what we're talking about. There's so much at stake in evangelism. There's so much at stake in helping people have that living encounter with Christ. And you and I, we don't know what's at stake. That person in front right. of us, we have no idea what God has intends for them, has placed in them, or will give yeah. them, or will the people to whom he will send them, we don't know. We know something great is at, is at work there, but we don't know what it is. But everyone we, we deal with, all of that, that, that comes with it. If they have that, if we can help them have that sustained living encounter with Christ, and to, as you mentioned, drop their nets, which is just a biblical image of the disciples yeah. you know, leaving their nets and following Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, it's the same sort of thing. And every person who does that begins a journey through which they could be used in this, in all kinds of ways they never dreamed of in the lives of other yeah. people. Yeah, I, I remember um, one of the beautiful moments of, of going through your book and applying it to my life and like looking up this stuff was apologetics, right? So I do uh, work with a lot of Protestants who are becoming Catholic, and I have a program here at my church where we wow. just focus, you know, we don't do the RCIA for the, un, you know, I mean, we do the RCIA for the unbaptized, but for the baptized and well-formed, they come to a separate thing with just me and we address their, you know, the major differences. If and, only and you'd go, been around when I entered the church. Right, yes. I know, right. Yeah, right. Uh, I remember you talking about showing up at a, your RCA with the catechism and someone's like, <laughs> oh, what are you bringing that book for? But uh, so it's just so, it's interesting because... When I talk about things like Mary and the communion of saints, so I talk about Mary, but within the context of the communion of saints, one of the phrases from St. Paul in Romans, when St. Paul is talking about it, he says that we are individually members of one another. And that phrase is, is like one of the great theological underpinnings of everything that you said, because the Lord gives his, uh, his giftedness, right? He gives it to, the, to manifest his power and sovereignty over, you know, over creation, over the church, the kingdom of God is real and it's here. But so often we think like when we talk about personal communication or personal relationship with, with Christ, 
the the evangelizing part, I think we're so scared of it that we just kind of like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that part. So we just kind of chop that off, or like, I'm not worthy. I don't have enough theology. Yeah. Or a lot whatever. of not yeah. worthy. I've run into a yeah. lot of not worthy. Yeah. 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 And so one of the big components of our show, because of uh, Dave here, is premature deployment. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're not worthy. Who cares? Go out and just share your story. You know who you are. Go tell your story, right? And so I, I, I was just the other day. I was teaching the communion of saints. And that image was just kind of hanging there of individually, we are members of one another. And it's like, it's not just because it's because Christ is the head that I'm united to Christ, the head, but it's also because Christ is the head that I'm united to you. And this is the significance of the communion of saints. We are here to make one another saints. And it's not enough to just like for me to do my thing. I go to mass on Sunday. I do even, even, you know, beautiful stuff there. But it's like, yeah, but but God is calling you out of yourself. What's that JP2 line? Faith only grows when it's given away to the measure that it's given. So I find this stuff to be so, like, you're not fully a disciple until you're also an evangelist. What are the things you about see, that? Yeah. Yeah. The, the catechism talks just about what you're talking about, has a whole section on the communion, the things we have communion in, including the communion in charisms. There's yeah, okay. communion in faith. There's communion in fruit bearing. And the whole point of this is your fruit belongs to me and my fruit belongs to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, your obedience, though I may never have met you or, you know, we live long ways apart or whatever, what your yes now is sending out ripples in history that are going to change ripples in the body of Christ, ripples in the network of grace that affect me, that strengthen me or tear me down. Mm-hmm. And mine do the same for you. And that basically said, your fruit belongs to me. So if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to blame it on you, Gomer. Um, yeah. I get but, it. And my fruit belongs to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, and, and, I, and, and we've we've reaped that. So awesome. Sorry, Dave. I've No, I've been, I just recently was kind of been wrestling with a statement by St. Augustine he sa- where he says, for there will be one Christ loving himself. Right, that that's wow. what the body of Christ is, and yeah. I it, it's hard. That is hard for that is a daunting quote for me because I very much have that individualistic, like I'm just gonna work out my faith here in my little office and never speak to another person again, so that I can just, you know what I mean. And and it's like, man, that is the opposite of what God has called us huh. to. I I wanted to get your perspective. Something that's very interesting to me that's been playing out recently. I feel like as far as charisms go, the church in America is much more open to the concept. Like you you have like people literally identifying themselves through charisms, which is weird to me, but it's also, you know, like kind of maybe a good breath of fresh air that people are open to them. But, and, and I've told this story probably several times, but um, you know, several years ago, Gomer and I, we hosted this meeting of evangelists, and we like brought together a bunch of evangelists and it was really funny because the meeting did not go as I had hoped. Like, yeah, I thought it was going to be awesome, but, but it was so interesting because we stayed at these people's house and almost everybody who was there, there were 40 people there said that they felt like some healing from the weekend, you know? And I was like, well, we didn't pray for healing and we didn't ask for healing, but it was interesting because it seems like every time I've gone to these people's house, I feel the same way. And I feel like they have a charism of hospitality, 
which is interesting to me because hospitality isn't healing. But what you mentioned earlier in the show is that every time you encounter a charism, you're encountering Christ. And I think like it's an important like thing for us to understand is that, you know, in the catechism, when it says like charisms, whether they're big and, you know, miraculous or simple and humble, like they're important. And I, I think it's like a beautiful mosaic. I guess I, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on just, you know, charism. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every yeah. single charism, we, we, there are two things that are true of every one of them. A, all the charisms are evangelizing because then in some way they make, uh, I now have better language for it. They make literally the spiritual presence of Christ present because the spiritual presence of um, in the church is teaching. There's the Eucharistic presence, but in addition, there's also his spiritual presence, which means his his body and blood are not present in in the substantial way, but his redemptive power is. Mm-hmm. And the charisms are instruments of that redemptive power in different ways. Okay, and yeah. as you say, they don't have to be dramatic. You don't have yeah. to have a, you don't have to be online, you know, being an influencer or, you know, right. working miracles or whatever. It's, it takes many different forms, but they are real, his real redemptive power. And so all the charisms in their own way, including hospitality, which is a classic example of something we do not associate with healing. And yet right. I, it is such a classic sign of the charism that yeah. in when that people invite you in, it gives you this roots, it gives you this place to be, and it's an incredible gift of healing as a side effect. Um, all mm. the charisms are evangelizing in their own right, and all of them are healing in their own right. And we make that clear to every called and gifted that we teach. And then we, you know, as we go along, we have to kind of say, well, you can see how encouragement here is a heal- has a healing aspect to it. And what about hospitality? And what about mercy? And how about, you know, so we're kind of laying this out, or we show, here's the evangelization impact of this charism. Um, And so there's spiritual healing, emotional healing, relational healing, physical healing, you know, all kinds of forms. But uh, it's part of what's at stake in making disciples that we don't talk about. Uh, Calling forth the charisms and the vocations of all the baptized, which the church explicitly teaches, is an essential part of pastoral governance which, yeah. of course, bishops bear primary responsibility for, and so do pastors, but all of us have a role in yeah. because it's intended that the church should be an instrument both through us as individuals, but especially through us as a community of these things you know, in the world for people. And, yeah, and um, it's also amazing how different, how, like you were talking about like hospitality and healing and all this stuff, how... You know, evangelization as a charism is not usually welcome on your average parish staff because it kind of upsets the status quo and things like that. And, uh, you know, I remember the one statement that the guy said, uh, if people don't, uh, if people feel comfortable leaving their purses in the pews when they go up for communion, you're not evangelizing <laughs> enough, right? Because all sorts of people should be coming to your parish that, you know, maybe they're, they're still being formed there, right? And I think about these things and how like different different areas have allergies to the body to to what Christ wants to give. And I was speaking recently with someone who went on um, a Bob Schutz retreat with Sister Miriam, right? And the the healing the whole person. And they were talking. And this person was a, a more traditional Catholic, so they kind of bounced between the traditional Latin Mass and the um, ordinary. 
And uh, they just said, so I was like, you know, you don't really hear about this kind of stuff in, in those in more traditional community. He goes, oh, no, they have an allergy against it. And I was like, why do you think that is? Why do you think a group that is characterized, you know, as the TLM crowd, the Rad Trad crowd are as mad, angry people? You know, like that's like the caricature of a lot of these communities. Not all of them, but a lot of these people. And I said, why? What? Like he goes, no, that's it. Like they really do need healing. And when you get down to it, a lot of these people have been abused uh, mm. by by clergy. Not, you know, whatever, like abused by, you know, yeah, being dismissed, derided, right. chased out of their local, you know, crazy church and all this stuff for for trying to be an authentic Catholic. And then, you know, obviously they, they went to the traditional route. But there's like this seething anger that often is in these things. And I was like, they need like just introduced to healing. Right. And I, it just reminds me of like the reason why I haven't gone to the doctor yet. It's because I'm fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong with me, you know? And oh, it's like, no, yeah. you, you need to sur- Like, I wonder what God could do if you just surrendered, like, uh, but there, there are institutional obstacles to certain charisms. And I think that's part of the discernment process, right? There is, there's, in fact, we actually, I have a list and I go over it with clergy and it's leaders all the time, but I have the list of charisms we like at the parish level. We like the ones that are involved with administration, taking care of people, and keeping the liturgical trains running on time, okay? And bake sales. Bake sales. Bake sales will kind of fall, they slide right under there, okay? Fundraisers, you know, all that stuff. Um, And then there's the charisms involved in evangelism, making disciples, mission outward, prophetic ministry, are the ones we're uncomfortable with that historically we associated with religious communities. That was okay for the Franciscans to do or the Dominicans or whatever, but not normal Catholics, and we're normal Catholics here. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's, it's, it's institutionalized at so many levels. But right now, I think what's interesting, because we're seeing, because it's been such a grim five years, and people, I think, are finally, in the early days when I kept saying, you know, <laughs> I said, if we don't do something, I did, put, I put this in FID. I basically said, um, the post-Vatican II decline is going to look like nothing compared to what's going to happen if we don't right. wake up and start making disciples. Right. And basically, we're there now. And we're seeing it. And almost nobody is arguing with me anymore about this. Right. But, yeah. but we have these graces that God has bestowed on us through the Holy Spirit, through baptism and confirmation and uh, the Eucharist, and but it, they don't manifest in our lives until we begin that journey. And then what happens, you know, inevitably, I mean, we've done, we've had 132,000 people go through the called and gifted that we know of. Wow. Okay. That's the, the official. There's a lot of unofficial things going on, but we don't know about them. <laughs> and uh, so we've heard over and over again this story of somebody comes in and they say, well, you know, about two years ago, I went through this conversion and they tell you a story. They went to a retreat or something happened in their life, you know, tragedy or something. And it was this big spiritual awakening. And then they say, you know, like two years after that, this thing started to show up in my life. Mm. All of a sudden I felt this, this, out of the blue drawing to work with the poor or to do you know engage in stuff I wouldn't nor- or be a ev- start evangelizing or whatever I stuff I wouldn't normally do in a million years I never saw myself doing and then 
this thing just started to happen. And because that's what happens. Basically, vocations awaken people, uh, and all of us, the church says, we are called to discern. Every baptized person has a personal vocation to discern, and the church is responsible to help them name that and answer that call. And the charisms are major clues as to what that vocation is. And there are major, there's ways we are supernaturally empowered by God to carry out those vocations. So all of this, I mean, yeah, it's a whole other set of problems. When you start evangelizing, then you get a whole new set of demands on you that you weren't, were not structured yeah. for, but they're right. demands of life and not death. You know, right. yeah, you had babies. There's a lot of work that comes with, I don't have to tell you guys, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah, your world will never be the same again. Right. Um, right. But it's, it's the demands of life. Yeah. This is, and parishes yeah. are, you know, our institutions are supposed to be, we're supposed to be seeing this all the time. So it, when we do see it, it is so exciting, so incredible to be part of, to be part of a community where a lot of people, not just one, not just a few who feel so isolated, they kind of hide. We, we run into people who are disciples who are in hiding in our communities because they're so intimidated yeah. right. by the overall culture. Right. Of people and the response of other lay people in their in their parishes, and so they just they don't share their relationship with God with anybody else, and they have charisms manifesting, taking them out, doing amazing things outside, and they won't share that either because well that's weird, you know, we're not going to go there. But when it becomes when the the culture what we call the culture of silence is broken in right. the parish. About yeah. the possibility of relationship with Christ, about the fact that He is living and present right now uh, in our midst, in us, among us, in the Eucharist, around, out working in the world, everywhere we go. Um, he, he Himself has preceded us there and is working in the hearts and minds of all those people. You know, and it, it starts to become normal to talk about this then we just, all sorts of disciples emerge. It's interesting. They show up and we didn't know they were there. Yep. They come yep. out of hiding. Yep. Um, or they are drawn to us. People who are seeking will seek out your parish. They'll hear through the grapevine something interesting is going on there. And they just yeah. show up. It's funny. like that. It, it's, it's so true. One day I started walking around my church, the perimeter of my church, praying the rosary and just saying, Lord, if there's any people I can help, send them my way. And I did this for about two weeks. Wow. And I missed days, you know, not not every not every day. One day this woman comes in and she says, um, I, I need to speak with someone in charge of RCIA. So she's waiting in the lobby and, and I come in and we sit down and start talking. And she said, you know, um, I've wanted to become Catholic for a while. I was just really scared to. And then I started looking at the RCIA programs and they're all like a year, two years. And I've studied my way into the, you know, like I believe the Eucharist and Blessed Virgin Mary and assumption, like she's rattling off all the doctors, like she's ready, right? And so she was listening to Catholic radio one day and she was crying because she wanted to know where to go. Uh. And then this guy on, on uh, I think it was Catholic Answers says, you know what's problem, you know, the, the, when you read the rite of reception or when you read the RCIA book, it talks about three different categories of people, the unbaptized, the baptized and poorly catechized and the baptized and well catechized. And those who are baptized and well catechized, they shouldn't be thrown in with the unbaptized, the uncatechized. They should have formation for their own. 
All right. Coming up next, we have a caller here, and this guy gets on. He goes, hey, uh, I got a question for you, but real quick before I go into it, just want to let you know that my parish of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church has this thing called the Inclusion Program, which is for baptized and well-formed Protestants, and that's the and she's on, and I can vouch for this, one of the most dangerous roads that has the skinniest shoulder to try to get downtown where she worked, and she pulled over onto that shoulder and wrote down the name of our church. So that she could follow. And so she got into work and she called, you know, and then sent the emails and then came, uh, took off work the next day to have this meeting. And she was like, literally, it was an answer to prayer out of Catholic radio that I never listened to except this one time. And you're like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is this stuff. Like, but it's not crazy, is it? I mean, then all of a sudden this, these stories happen all the time when you start realizing. And here's, here's the deal. And Dave, you and I have talked about this before, but. People will come, they sense your gifts, and they will come right. and ask you for them, even if you don't know that you have them. Right, right. The Holy, I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit inspires them. Go talk to that guy. Go talk right. to her, you know, or, or ask her for help or whatever. And mm. you're like, what? I mean, how, how did you know? I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of yeah. people saying, how did they know? One woman said, you know, like every, she says, I like must have talked to me written on my forehead because total strangers come up to me like in the grocery <laughs> line and they dump their entire life story on me. And right, she says, right. how do they know? And I'm like, you know, I, it's, it's got to be, obviously God is somehow inspiring them to come to you. Um, right. And that's, it's one of part of the discernment process. We, te- we yeah. tell people to look for these kind of patterns in their lives. Um, that people will literally come and seeking that which you have been given to give. Yeah. yeah. I, I love I, that. Well, seeking that which you have been given to give. Awesome. Yeah. I want to just uh, underline one point, like for our list, so many of our listeners, Sherry, are church employees. A lot of our, li- like a high percentage of our listeners are church employees. And I think what you said is so important that when when disciples who are like underground realize that you're okay with them they'll come up and and i think so many church employees feel alone and one of the things i always recommend people do is when they're starting a new position or or really at any time just just stand up at the masses and say hey i want everyone this week if they could to pray a memorare or pray a prayer that we start making disciples at this parish, like f- just for conversions or something like that. I can't tell you how much fruit just that announcement has wow. borne at parishes because all of a sudden people are like, wait, what are we talking about here? What does that mean? Like what, why is he, what is he, conversions? Like, are there Muslims here? Are there Protestants here? You know, what is this? And they start to realize like, oh, he's talking about this, you know, and they start putting the pieces together. So just, just create a culture where, you're okay with discipleship, and you won't be alone. You won't be alone. That's awesome. All right, we're going to take a brief pause right now, throw it out to a commercial from our fine folks at Ascension Press. Uh, reminder, everyone, because we are a seasonal podcast, you want to get on that email chain so that you know when we're coming back and get all the glorious show notes with all the links to everything that we talk about here. So text EKSB to 33777, and you'll get added to that email chain, and your life will improve 27% overnight. It'll be awesome. We'll be right back. (laughs) Hi, I'm Father Mark Toops. Do you ever feel like you're asking God for too much in your spiritual life? The truth is you're probably asking for too little. 
And if you'd like some help this Lent, opening up your heart to God to allow Him to bless you with all that He has for you, you should pick up the new Ascension Lenten Companion Year A. This coming Lent, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If you'd like some help to go deeper, you'll need to ask for more. And this is what this year's journal is designed to help you with. Each day, you'll get a word to focus on, a reflection to help you pray, some scripture to meditate on, and a prompt to help you quiet down and listen to what God wants to say to you. And each week, we feature a piece of original artwork as well as an original online video to help you in your prayer. I wanna encourage you to be bold this Lent, to ask God for more. Go to ascensionpress.com and order your copy of the Ascension Lenten Companion today. God bless you. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We're so happy to have uh, the Ascension Press name behind us and be a part of that community. I hope they uh, offered you some awesome products and you went right to their website and and bought it and tell them Gomer and Dave (laughs) sent you so that they're happy with us. We're continuing our conversation here with a guru, uh, Sherry Waddell, and we're talking about charisms and the building up of the church. In my opinion, a vastly misunderstood topic and found myself, I think, my own journey as like being unsatisfied with every book and every presenter Mm -hmm. until kind of talking with Sherry, mostly by Facebook Messenger, a lot, a lot, and um, kind of realizing like, oh, okay, there's a better way to understand this, which we don't have to get into. But Sherry, um, called and gifted, powerful thing for parishes, powerful thing for the church. Tell us a little bit about how to find that and how to do that. A called and gifted is a intended to be a parish-based discernment process to help for Catholics. It's the first one that was created for Catholics to help to discern charisms, but it's placed, understood entirely within the context of the church's teaching on the subject in our history and everything. And I've done, I've read everything the church, ever written in the church on this subject twice <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, and the call to gifted actually is older than the Institute. It's going to turn right. 30 next year. Um, so we've had many, many tens of thousands of people go through all over the world Now, what's so cool now is the workshop, the initial workshop and the chance to take the inventory is now available online through our website. So we've got it. We spent four years putting on a video, creating a video version of the initial workshop. We still do it live as necessary, but but this makes it accessible to people all over the world. And it's available in English and Spanish and it's up. It's available right now. And so if you're interested and want to know more, you could just go right to our website, which is uh, the Catherine of Siena Institute, or www.siena, S-I-E-N-A, dot O-R-G. It's only one N in Siena. Um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not the I minivan have, from Toyota. To, not the minivan. It. No, I'm sorry. But <laughs> what is astonishing about it is it it's a huge spiritual, in our experience, um, we get everybody going through it. And so we have people who are uh, spiritually very, very young, and we have people who are very, very mature. We've had people who are clearly in the unitive way who are very mature go through it. And everyone in between, everybody 18 to 80, from all different backgrounds, different ages, <laughs> different life experiences at this point. Nice. Um, and the goal is to help you recognize patterns in your life that may indicate the presence of a supernatural empowerment or a charism, that's the, the, a gift of grace, that's the church's term for it, that you have been given 
uh, in baptism, but which is now beginning to manifest in your life, mm-hmm. and how to recognize it, how to discern that, further clarify that, and how to answer the call that comes with it. So that's what the whole process is about. Um, and you can begin it all, uh, as I said, online, or we all go to our calendar. We have all these live events going on as well around the country, both in English and Spanish. And we do this in other places too. So we have we have team in Britain, for instance, and in, we have teams in Canada and that sort of thing. So you know you can check that out. But it's we have found that it's evangelizing in its own right, which is really interesting yeah. because it everything is, yeah. about that raises. I mean, it's always about. God is alive, God is present, God is active, God is changing lives and healing people right now in our midst, and you and I are called to be part of that. And so everything about it uh, just raises people's, gives them a sense of hope of uh, that in Christ, in God's presence, in God's work in their lives. And, it does, and we ask people, you know, to be, to pray, to be open to whatever God is calling them to. And so it's uh, just been a very powerful experience. And I think it's also can be very evangelizing. And we have lots of people who move spiritually by going through this process. And we know that that's happening. Um, And we've built that. It's built into it. So, And right now, people coming back from COVID, we're getting lots of dioceses and parishes who uh, demands for called and the gifted are going through the roof because it's such a perfect way to, in a sense, uh, bring people back to the parish, offer right. something that that's for them. It's not, this is not just about you being a volunteer at the parish level at all. This is a whole right. life thing. The charisms impact your whole life, your family relationships, your friendships, what you do at work, you know, your sense of meaning in your life and purpose yeah. and overall, you know, call. Um, so it's a whole life thing. It has enormous ramifications all over the place. I wish I had more time to talk about it. But so check it out um, you, or go to one of our live workshops that are being held around the country and, uh, you know, go through it there. But it is a it, so it's a discernment process. The, the workshop is just the beginning. And then we give you a chance to sit down with somebody one on one privately, someone who's been trained to listen to your stories of being used by God and help you recognize the patterns in your life that you may you may not understand their significance, but they really point, they may point to a specific charisma, a specific call, and we help you recognize what's already going on in your life. And a lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of Catholics uh, sort of, we don't want to hear that. We sort of filter out that knowledge because the idea of us having charisms makes us really uncomfortable. Right. Um, and uh, so we help you recognize, you know, the sign, the evidence of a charism that may already be manifesting in your life. Um, or, you know, help you explore something that you don't know about. But uh, anyway, and then the third part is a small group uh, part where you actually pick a charism to go out and experiment with and see what cool. God does. And you meet with other people who are discerning and share that. So it's a community discernment experience. I can't tell you the number of people I run into. I've run into all kinds of women, for instance, who told me I'm in religious life because so many years ago I went through the call yeah. and gifted. Uh, you know, I'm in ministry now. That's I'm awesome. doing this. Uh, I'm, you know, I've got, I'm doing something really remarkable out in the community and it was because that was the starting place for me. Um, so it's one of the great, uh, joys of being part of the process. Honestly, as I tell people, um, this is like the most fun you can have legally to actually help somebody else discern a charism, (laughs) to do, listen to these stories, which are so amazing. And we typically don't have any mechanism to get these stories out. We don't. We don't have mechanisms at the parish level to talk about this stuff. 
And so they often tell us, I've never told a soul, but I had this thing happen. And you're like, whoa, Uh, incredible. But they never told a soul. So it breaks the silence. It's another way to break the silence about Christ, the fact that he's among us, that he is at work in our hearts and our minds and our community, that his graces of the Holy Spirit are here being poured out on us. And, uh, you know, and they really make a difference both in personally and for the whole community. And so yeah. that's, you know, so that, so go to Sienna.org and check that out. Um, and of course, if, you know, the books, I, I wrote a whole book on the subject called Fruitful Discipleship, Living the Mission of yep. Jesus in the Church and the World. And that's all about the charisms and that discernment process. So, you know, you can pick up all those sorts of things as well. That's awesome. Sherry, thank you so much for taking the time out of maintaining your high elevation garden and uh, (laughs) all the busy work that you do. My family just started gardening. And yesterday I was literally walking through being like, I'm going to have Sherry on the phone. Maybe I should ask her about my Texas soil. (laughs) So clay, so, so much clay. Um, No, but uh, thank you so much for um, being a number one. Thank you for saying yes to the Lord and all the work that you've poured into, um, especially these books that you were able to put together in the called and gifted workshop, like, I mean, changing hundreds of thousands, like that is, that is not an exaggeration, hundreds of thousands of lives. Well, that um, you need, you do know, you do understand that wasn't me, right? I mean, yeah. first of all, I, I I'm part of a whole I network. Know. I don't know. I think it was all you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm part of a whole network of people who have been laboring to make yeah. this possible. Um, but also, of course, it's to, you know what it's like. To say yes to a call of God is one of the most incredible, life-changing, um, healing, transforming things you can do, even if you don't know what it means when you say yes. Yeah. And none of us do, really. We know. Um, <laughs> but, At, but yeah, yeah, it's one of the it, great privileges. So anyway. Awesome. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Dave, so nice to see your handsome face as always. No, see, no comment. He has nothing nice no, to say. Ma- to uh, uh, the so next fun. time we'll see each other in person, it'll be in the frozen tundra of Minnesota. That is, because we're going to do our batch recording for the next yeah. season. Oh, Minnesota in January. Can't do, can't do it. Who came up with that? Come to Houston, everyone. Come to run here during the winter months. <laughs> Anywho, this has been Every Niche About Your Seasonal Catholic Podcast on Evangelization. <laughs> Sherry, thanks again. Dave, looking good. Adios, everyone. Bye. God bless. 